Thursday evening. I'm going to try to do the Haftorah. I've got a bad voice, as you can see. And um, a very bad cold and a sore throat, whatever. So my voice is shot. But after the game, I'm going to try to uh, to do to finish this story at the top of the week. Today's Haftorah is being sponsored by the Meyer family, Howard J. Meyer, who uh, is a listener and is saying that he wants this sponsorship in memory of my dear cousin, Reb Chaim Dov, Ben Reb Tzian Shalom Brody, who saw firsthand the tremendous bicker cholem of the Baltimore Jewish community during his tkufa. <coughs> so uh, there is a lot of bicker cholem activity over here. And Baltimore has more than this show, And I'm uh, happy to dedicate in that in, in, in zechus. We thank him for the uh, for the sponsorship. Now today's haftorah is all about Eliyahu Navi, Elijah, the prophet, and the and the foreign priests of Baal. Everybody knows that story. And then he says this: the fire should come down from right, and let's see what the Baal can do. And it, it's a triumph in the end. Hashem Elokim, Hashem Elokim, and all that. I, I I'm sure you know that story. So I would call attention to the following weirdism in my mind. Why is this the Haftorah Parshat Kisisa? I'll tell you what I mean. Kisisa is about the Egel Azov and the unsuccessful attempt to maintain the Egel Azov, but the disastrous results of it. The Haftorah is sort of the opposite. The people themselves come to realize the futility of the Egel Azov. Well, I said it wrong. It's the Baal. So I have to back up a little bit. And explain what the problem is in my mind. We're dealing over here with Elia Navi, with Achov. So it's the Bayis Rishon. It's the Book of Malachim. It's a Haftorah. The Haftorah was dreamed up to resemble the Parsha of the Week. So way back when, when they established the institution of Torah, for various reasons, you know, you couldn't lay in the Chumash and so forth. So they pick, you're supposed to pick, something in the Nevi'im, not the Ksuvim that resembles what the Parsha is about. So, our Parsha is about the story of Egozov, but our Haftorah is not. Now, if we're up to me, you have a perfect example of the story of Yeruvim. That's the way to do it. And for those who don't know what I'm talking about, I mean, I can't believe nobody knows this. I'm sure you do. The golden calf does not disappear in Parsha Chisisa. Instead, when you get to the split of the kingdom into the north and the south, the south was the kingdom of Yehuda, the north was the kingdom of Yisrael, the south was Judah and Benjamin, the north was the ten tribes, as they call it. So the first leader was Yom ben and one of the first things he did for political reasons was to reject the regular Jewish religion, the Moshe Rabbeinu religion, and instead go for a, a golden calf. He actually made two golden calves, and he said, So he copied the same Nusach. And one was all the way in the northern part of the northern kingdom. And the other was in the southern part of the northern kingdom. Like the belly button of central Israel today. And that proceeded to operate those, that religion, those churches, those priests, for several hundred years, maybe three, four hundred years. That's a long time where I come from. And so... It makes more logical sense to me 
that if I were deciding which Haftarah should go this week, I would pick chapter 11 or 12, whatever it is in the book of Kings, and you'd have the story of him. And, of course, the golden calf did not spread to the south, which is interesting. The south had its problem with idols, but not the golden calf. Uh, you know what I said? And the um, the contrast would be very plain. And then we would say, look at the difference. It would make Moshe Banner look good. You'd say, look, in the Chumash, there was a golden calf episode, but Moshe Banner stopped at PDQ. And he killed the people involved in it or something like that, like we talked about yesterday. And he crushed it and destroyed it. And that was the end of that business, okay? That was the end of that business. So he nipped it in the bud, even though it already had bad consequences. And then you'd say, but let's contrast that with the Haftorah. And there you're on what majorly screwed up. We consider him one of the big sinners. Chotu Machta, as they call it. Ain lochilik mavo. So the guy turned out at the end to be a jerk, whatever he was in the beginning. <coughs> and then, um, what happened was that he, uh, you know, that's how he lived and died. And then you say, look at the difference between the Parsha on the one hand and the Haftar on the other. And it would make Moshe Rabbeinu look good and Yerum look bad and that's what we want. Now, that's not what they do. Instead, they talk about the period of Elijah, the prophet, Elianavi, who lived in the time of Achav. Achav was not in the golden calf. He was way past that. Achav had a specific agenda to, uh, what's the right word, outdo the golden calf in idolatry so that to make it much worse. It's not me saying it, it's, it's, it's the Bible. It says... In Lachem Aleph, uh, where is it? <sighs> chapter Tezan, chapter 16, verse 30. Vayas Achav ben Abri, Harab Eni Hashem, Mikol Asher He did worse than the other guys before him. Now that was a high bar. You know, I would say Yeram ben the was pretty sinful. Achav said, I have an agenda to outdo him in Avodah Zarah. Vayhi hi no keel, lech Yisram ben It says these words black and white. It was Hino Kale. It was too too light in his eyes to simply follow the sins of Yerubim. So in other words, the golden calf, bleh. I want hardcore Avodah Wake up, Because the golden calf, you can argue, and I've done that in podcasts in previous years, if you know really, really, really what it is, is what we would call today softcore Avodah It wasn't Avodah Zarah, but softcore Avodah But the uh, Baal and Asher and all this junk was hardcore Avodah in every respect. And so the Pusik says, It was too easy for him to just simply follow in the footsteps of the Ram and maintain the Egel Azov. I mean, he didn't get rid of it, but he made it that, why would you go to an R-rated movie if you go to Triple X? And so what he did was he married a Shiksa, the daughter of the king of, of Lebanon, of, of, of Sidon, and she brought in all her religious stuff, and she was a um, Sidonian. In other words, like you'd say, the, sort of like the Canaanim. May I point out that the Lebanese, you know, the Tzor and Sidon, is really part of the Eretz Yisrael that was promised to the Jews. You take a look in the book of Joshua, you'll see. And in, also in Bamidbar somewhere. 
second half. And the peoples who lived, it's not only the Kanani, Moipresi, Busi, and so forth, but if you follow the borders, you know, from this Nisi go Lahore, Ahar, and this you do the, you know, Kinneret, <clears throat> you'll see Lebanon was part of the area, supposed to be part of the original Eretz Yisrael, but the Jews never got around to doing it, that's all. It's one of those places they messed up in the time of Joshua. So, that was hardcore of Odizara. And when I say Gil Arayas, I mean triple X. And so, to outdo what Yeruvim did and his predecessors, he went and worshipped the Baal and bowed down to it. So what it means is, by that time you had um, Yeruvim and then his son who was killed, and then Basha, and then his son who was killed, and then uh, Zimri, who was king for a week, and then uh, Omri. All those guys were into Egozov. And then our villain this week, Achav, Ahab, the king of Israel, went for Baal. See, he built, if I can use the term, a kind of a Vodazara, Beis HaMikdash temple in the capital city of the north. And he also was into Asherah. So, to tell you the, the truth, um, if you go historically, the Baal is the male uh, sex god, and the Asherah is the female sex god. They find these little statues all the time. Chazal, and Rashi here and others, go with the idea that the Asher is a certain tree. And it means that too, in rabbinic language. But the original Asher is Astarte. Coming, there you have it, black and white, that Achav is out to set up a new marker, quadruple X. Okay? So what's this got to do with the Golden Calf story? Now, I looked in the art school just for the heck of it, and they gave a bad, bad, bad answer. You know, I, I didn't like it at all. Because, obviously, they must have given it some thought and couldn't come up with something, and so they gave a bad, bad, bad answer. Maybe it was like it. I don't know. Um, but instead, we have a, a something different. The story of Elion Novi, um, who, as we all know, faces the problem of widespread idolatry, and he cannot convince the Jewish people I repeat, he cannot convince the Jewish people to give up the triple X stuff. And so in a fit of anger, he says, I'm declaring a drought. And, uh, you know, for the next three years, it'll be a drought. Now, you and I know what the Middle East is like. They're always close to water death. There's no such thing, as we all know in Israel, as somebody saying it's raining too much. As a number you do, right? You never say in Israel it's raining too much. Because they need every drop. Chaval kultipa. The country does. And when you hear there's a storm and this, that, and the other, as long as the canaret rose, you all know what I'm talking about. So imagine if I told you, Chas Shalom, that in the Middle East would be a three years without water. I mean, you'd have mass deaths all the place. I myself just don't understand how that happened because you simply cannot survive if there's mamash a drought for an extended period. Now, the Chazal know this, and as best as I can tell, their way of dealing with this is to say it wasn't three years, it was, you know, one month of the first year and one month of the third year and the 12 months of the middle year. You know what I mean? Like, in other words, December of 2020 and the whole of 2021 and January of 2022. So that cuts it down a lot. But even so, how could you go for a whole year without a drought? And he said, that there won't be any rain. You know, how can you survive in the Middle East like that? Okay. 
because they get the, they're relying on the rain. You know, it rains up in the north. Now, I'm sure there are answers to this, and maybe it was only in Israel, not in Syria, whatever. But I'm simply saying, this was a pretty severe business. I say all the time, the Elio Novi that we encounter in the Tanakh does not seem to have the same you know, uh, character and the characteristics that, you know, Elio Novi in, in popular, uh, you know, uh, literature like in the Gemara, where it's more like kind of a Jewish Santa Claus or something. You know, it pops up and does good things to people. In Tanakh, he was Midas Hadin. Midas Hadin. And uh, that's who he is. Now, nevertheless, he did it. And Hashem backed him up. And there was a drought. And you can just imagine, let me put it this way. Maybe a million people died. You understand? I mean, doesn't, the Apostle doesn't talk about it. But there must have been mass suffering over there. Now, this was done in anger because the people wouldn't give up the Baal. <coughs> Excuse me. This is a very different story than Parsha Kisisa, which, to be perfectly honest, lasted a few hours. I mean, the whole Maise with the Eglazov, well, let's be clear about this. The whole Maise with the Eglazov was a very short blip. I'm not excusing it, but I'm putting it in context. Imagine, for 40 days, Moshe was up on the mountain. Then he's supposed to come back at 6 or 7 in the morning. The Ekis freaked out as the as they say, and they say, oh, it's 6.30, he's not here yet, what's going to happen, woe is me, and by 7 o'clock, the whole place is freaking, and they go to Aaron, and they make a golden calf, and it's there for, I don't know how long, not, you know, not it's all the same day, and Hashem immediately says to Moshe upstairs, Leich rei amcha. and how long does it take Moshe to descend the mountain? I mean, how long does it take Moshe to come down the mountain? Not so long. And as soon as he comes down, he sees and he smashes the eagle and he proceeds to destroy the golden calf. So the, the idol was there two hours, three hours, four hours. You know what I mean? Like, 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 like bupkis. Again, I'm not excusing it, but I just say put it in, in perspective. It wasn't a major epoch in Jewish history. It was just a bummer. Now let's contrast that with the period in the Haftorah. Yerobim was there hundreds of years, was the Eglazov. And Baal and Asher with Acha was dozens of years. So it's a quite a different business. And t- to go weiter, um, Eliyahu is a very interesting character because he seems to share certain um, commonalities with Moshe Rabbeinu and certain differences. Perhaps you know that after this story is over in the Haftor today, Eliol will run away to Mount Sinai and he'll have a repeat experience in which God will reveal himself to him. At least he will hide in the same cleft of the rock. The motion, this is straight in the Bible, baby. It's all there. And, you know, he'll have a whole encounter with Hashem after traveling 40 days and 40 nights, by the way, without eating. That's what it says. This is straight in the Pesukim. So that's a mosaic-type experience. There are differences between Elio and Moshe. In my mind, the most fascinating, interesting difference is Moshe dies and Elio doesn't die. About Moshe, we're told very clearly that he died and was buried. The Torah goes to great lengths to make it very clear the guy was a human being 
Maybe Hashem took care of the funeral arrangements, which is a very high madrega. I'm not making fun of that. But it was funeral arrangements. Understand? Moshe is not alive today. He's dead. This is different than other religions, you know, like the Christians, where they just couldn't get past the idea that their hero is dead, and they say he's still alive. Okay, but Moshe died. By the way, it also says clearly he did not have an immaculate conception or anything like that. Moshe Rabbeinu was born in a normal way. So he was a very great human being. In fact, we would say the greatest of all human beings, but he was a human being. You see, he had all the, he, 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 he took the human experience to extreme level, but he was a human being. He couldn't be in two places at the same time. Okay? Now, Elio Novi, as you probably know, goes up to, a, to heaven in a chariot of fire, which is, of course, an expression because there was no chariot of fire and heaven is not upstairs. So they're trying to indicate over there that he's translated, that's the right word to use, to a different plane of existence. So he didn't die. And there are even discussions in uh, Gomorrah, I think, and the Achronim, you know, does Elion Novi's wife need to get... She nations and all that kind of stuff, right? Due to the fact that he's you know he doesn't die, so that's a big difference between him and Moshe Rabbeinu. But they both have a Mount Sinai experience, and they both seem to have problems with idolatry. But look at the difference, and this is the point I want to call out because it leads to a very interesting question in my mind. <coughs> Moshe came to the mountain down the mountain smashed the tablets, and one, two, three, he suppressed his ego self stuff. He physically destroyed it. He, he poured it out. It was gone. And he killed a bunch of people. And poof, that's the end of that. Then he had to spend a lot of time begging God not to kill everybody. But it was over. Now, did the people, what should I say, since it was suppressed, so perhaps, I mean, it's actually a good writer, since it was suppressed, Maybe he never got it out of people's, you know, kishkas. But it was gone. And violently, too. Now, let's contrast that. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's contrast with Elion Novi. What does he do? He has this famous scene at Mount Carmel, where he lines up the priests on their side and me on my side. And you know the famous business. He says, if you're uh, if Baal is the real thing, let a fire come down and burn down you know, from heaven and burn down your, your uh, carbon, which, of course, it couldn't. And he was a showman. He was like a major performer because, you know, he says, pour water around my altar so it should be harder than water. What? He gives a whole speech. I must say, I tempo him, I'll say, you see him. But what happens to Misa? He says to Achav, let's settle this once and for all. Let's have a public demonstration. <clears throat> and Achav agrees. And the public demonstration is so successful that the people of their own accord fall on their faces. That's the end of the Haftarah today. Like all Haftarahs, it, it's truncated, you know. There's a lot more coming after that and maybe even the most, possibly the most important parts of it. But nevertheless, that is what, you know, the, the Haftarah ends on, on a high note. So that means <clears throat> Eliyahu did not suppress the Baal or the Asherah. He did not suppress the Egozov. Instead, 
he used whatever tactics to bring out <coughs> a wave of public enlightenment. Hashem Elokim, Hashem Elokim means the people chopped. And they said the Baal is not the real thing, and Hashem is. Now, to be perfectly honest, it's a pretty primitive experience, uh, experience as far as I'm concerned. Like the Rambam says, with Moshe, you know, maybe Elio did Kishaf or not, you know, you know, but I guess you had to be there, and if you were there, it served to, 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 to convince the people. And that's a happy ending. That's why our after ends that way. But that means that he persuaded everybody, he demonstrated to everybody peacefully and intellectually that what they were holding until now was wrong. So until this experiment, um, until this experiment, they really thought that there's something in the ball. After this experiment, they saw that they had been mistaken. We call this enlightenment. I think the highest madrega on these sorts of things is if you can enlighten somebody. Suppose today a guy was doing an Avera. He's really addicted to it and so forth. And you say, don't do that, and you try to suppress it, and this and that and the other, which a lot of times we do. All right. It's not as good, obviously. It's not as good as, as demonstrating to the person, to his own, <coughs> you know, to his own, uh, you know, satisfaction, conviction, that what he was doing until now was wrong. So I'll just make up a case. Suppose the guy's going around saying Lashon Har about somebody. I know a lot of people like that. I'll give you a few names. No. <laughs> but, uh, and, you know, the guy re- is really into it. And then you're able somehow or other to show him that speaking gossip and things like that is actually a, a, a low-class business. And the guy says, oh, I never, you know, <clears throat> very good. I hear what you're saying. So it's not that, oh, you better stop this, Hashem will burn you. I see now that this, you know, it was wrong. So I'm just not going to do it anymore. That's, that's the highest madriga. You know, sometimes if you're a parent, you have kids or grandchildren or something like that. So, you know, the highest thing is if the kid does something wrong and you say, you know, you did something wrong. The kid says, you're right. I, I made a mistake. It's not going to happen again. So then you don't, you know, drag it through the mud. You say, okay, let's move on. Because you made your point. You made your point. It was wrong. <clears throat> Everybody makes a mistake. The trick is not to keep it going. Once you're past it, you're past it. So in our Haftarah today, the people see as a result of the LEO experiment that Baal is baloney and Hashem, Hashem Elohim, Hashem Elohim. So the question then you're left with is, why didn't Moses do exactly the same thing? When Moshe came down from the mountain, he was like in an angry mood. Because God was angry. Moshe was angry on his own. That's why he broke the tablets. He's angry on his own. Why didn't Moshe, you know, I sound like a liberal, say, hey, this is a teachable moment. Because <laughs> that's what Elio did. It's a teachable moment. You see? And gather everybody around him and say, listen, you guys really believe in Nagel Azov? Watch this. Make, say, two carbonas. Here's mine and there's the Nagel Azovs. All these guys that believe in it, let me see, whoosh, a fire come down. And, you know, burn, burn, burn the uh, meat. And, of course, they won't be able to. And then watch me. I'll say, Hashem, do it. And poof, he does it. Notice, do the same thing Elio did. And then right there in the desert, all the 600,000 and the 3 million would hit the ground. Actually, that would be like a Kedesh Hashem Shein Kamo. They waited 40 days and 40 nights to get the Torah. At the end, they finally got the two tablets. They screwed up a little bit. 
But by the time the whole business was over, they realized what they had done wrong. And they said, and we're not going back to this. We're not going back to this. We made a mistake. And let's move on. But that's not what happened. Moshe said, let's kill everybody. Let's destroy it. And so forth. So it comes out funny. Elion looks like he knows what he's doing better than Moshe Rabbeinu, which makes no sense. Makes no sense. Moreover, and listen closely, <coughs> everything in the story, if you read the Pesukim, is connected with the worship of the Baal. It is not connected with the worship of the Egal Azov. Now, during the time of Achav, you had Egal Azov, except you also had more. So now this is a triple X movie, but they also had the R's and the PG's or whatever they call those things, right? It didn't mean that they didn't have the other idols. It means they just you know pushed the envelope and had even racier, monster idols. That that's what they did, okay? So it doesn't say anywhere in our parish, in our haftorah that Elio got rid of that. If you read the haftorah, I invite you to do so this Shabbos. You'll see that what happens is that Elio says it's me versus the, the Nevi'i Abal, uh, the Baal and Asherah. And when he finally triumphs, he says, kill these suckers, right? Go get to them. Uh, after making fun of the Baal and this and that and the other, I'm looking in the Haftar over here, after he does his showmanship, and when the fire comes down, okay, so, oh, so I like this. So the Haftarah ends on Pasuk Lama Tess, which is anticlimactic. Hashem al-Kim, Hashem al-Kim. What's the next line? Grab all these Nevi'ah mehem. Let no one escape. And what do you call it? They grabbed them. And Elio... Uh, it took took all these 400, 500 guys, whatever it was, to Nachal Kishon, and he shechted them there. I want you to understand this picture. Here you have 400, I think it was 800 altogether, 850, something like that. You had 800 guys, and here's Elio with a big knife, and he's going around from guy to guy, one after another. It's like a Taliban, you know, and just slitting the throat, and next guy just slitting the throat, and next guy slitting the throat. It's, it's a party, <laughs> okay? All right? And, um, that's what happened. Now, that's because the people said, Hashem will keep, Hashem will keep, so I have no problem with that. Okay? And I have no problem with them. It's if I used to presume that they grabbed all the false, uh, you know, prophets. We didn't have anything like that in, in Parshish Kishisha. So we don't have the enlightenment of the Jewish people, we just have the suppression of the golden calf. And nothing I mentioned in the Parsha that I just read you in the Haftorah, even the aftermath, Involves the Nevi'e Ha'egel Azov, which were still around, uh, and and I don't know, seem to be untouched. The story goes on. If you know anything about the Tanakh, that Izebel says, Jezebel says, "I'm going to kill you," and Elio is scared. He runs away and goes to Mount Sinai. It's funny. If I was Hashem, I would say like this. He said, "Well, you did fifty percent. You, you you got rid maybe of the uh, uh, Baal to some degree." What happened to the to the Azov? You understand? So the absence. So it's a very strange haftorah to me in this regard, because what's the right word? You know, the elephant is on the table. Nobody's talking about it. Where's the Azov? How come there's no mention of that? And why is this used as the haftorah for this week's parsha? 
the the only thing, perhaps, <clears throat> I say perhaps, the point of the Haftarah was to contrast Elio and Moshe, but that's not usually the style of the Haftarah. It's not usually about contrast. It's about evoking the similar uh, problem. The only thing you have in common is that the Jews were into idols. In one case, it was the Baal and the other business. And in the desert, it was the Egalaz off. There's a huge difference because in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, everybody was from until this popped up. And Aaron was also from. He didn't want to do it. Masha'enki, when you get to the period of the Haftorah, the government was in the hands of idol worshippers. Um, you know, they killed all the Nevi'im. It's famous that Avadia, the prime minister, who was from, hid the from prophets in a cave, as we all know. I'm sure, I mean, I'm not telling you, you know the story. So, it's a strange business. Uh, why didn't these people go after the Egel Azov? Um, I share these uh, questions with you, because I think to kind of cry out, if you look intelligently at the Haftorah, particularly in the context of Parshish Kisisa, and, I mean, there is in both cases, I guess, in the end, the destruction of the Avodah but in very radically different ways. Um, radically different ways. In both situations, the idol in question is not really totally suppressed. Uh, Eliyahu himself realizes this, if you know how to read the story very closely. When Jezebel says, I'll kill you tomorrow, nobody will stop me. Elio runs away and he says, Kaches nafshi kilo My life is a failure. So my whole campaign against the Bodhisattva didn't work. Um, so in that regard, it's kind of interesting comparing that with Moshe in regard to the Egalazov. And indeed, in the story of the kingdom of the north, this idol stuff eventually took them down. That's where they were wiped out. Ad We have not heard from these guys in, what, 2,500 years, 2,600 years? That's a long time where I come from. Uh, 2,600 years, or more, whatever, maybe more. So, uh, it's like remarkable, but it is interesting, with this I conclude, because it's already, I'm running uh, on time, I'm running past my time. It is interesting to compare and contrast intelligently the story you have of the Eagle Azov in Parshish saw with the story of Elio and the, and the Nevi Abal in, in the Haftorah. And, uh, you know, that's a good discussion at the table. Compare and contrast Moses and Elijah and their approach and how successful they are and things of that nature. Anyway, once again, I want to thank Myers and uh, I wish everybody a good Shabbos. I hope I'll get past this cold. And with that, I bid you a good night.